From KOSU, you're listening to Songwriters and Tour Writers. I'm Matthew Viriapa. On this episode is Mike McCor. Mike McCor is a pioneer of the Red Dirt music scene. He was part of the Great Divide and produced numerous other records for acts like Cross Canadian Ragweed and Turnpike Troubadours. But his latest record, Looking Up, comes out five years after his last. With the pandemic this year giving many in the music industry a lot more time at home, Mike put together what he thinks is his most cohesive album yet. Funded by fans on Kickstarter and produced from his home in the Boo Hatch studio, the album was written in the wake of close friends and mentors passing away and him coming to grips with drinking. Listen to him talk about his decision to give up drinking, recalling those early red dirt days, and advice for those currently going through tough times. You know, I think that's the best advice that I could give anybody is, is to try to find the truth and look inside yourself for that. It's been heavy Thought the last just might do me in But I'm stronger now than I have ever been before And when you ain't got much left Well, they can't take very much more Or can they, baby? How's your day been so far? Pretty good. I'm out here in Santa Fe. Uh, just woke up and we're about to head west. We're uh, My girlfriend and I are headed out to the Grand Canyon. Uh, have you been to the Grand Canyon before? You know, I, I went there with the Great Divide when I was in my 20s. Um, we were playing out somewhere in Arizona and, and we passed over it and we got out just for a few minutes and, and took a look at it. I've never really got out and explored, so that's that's what we're looking to do. Yeah, I guess, you know, now's the time to take advantage of the great outdoors. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's been nice. We're trying to find something that we can go. Because we've been at home on lockdown for, uh, since when, honey? March 14th. March 14th. And we haven't really gone hardly anywhere. So it's just nice to be out of the house and moving and, you know, masking up. And we're in New Mexico right now, and everybody has on masks, even walking around out in the public. And, uh. And uh, it's really refreshing, you know. They're trying to keep a grip on this thing, and I feel safer when everybody's doing that. Yeah, that's nice to hear. Just gives you a peace of mind. Yeah, it does. Because I live in rural Oklahoma, and and, uh, a lot of places aren't taking it very seriously, and and it gets frustrating after a while, especially when you have people you know and love affected by it. Yeah, it's cool that you're going to see the Grand Canyon. I would have thought, being in a band called the Great Divide, like well, you guys would have <laughs> made a longer stop there, but yeah, you'd think I would see all of the big, big ravines in the world. I saw that you had a uh, kind of live stream show, I think, in the at the Mercury Lounge in Tulsa. Was it kind of weird at all, like trying to to perform a show, but for no one? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, very weird. There's no one there. Yeah, the the weirdest part is when you finish a song and and the room's just quiet. You know, if that that was the case back a few back before COVID hit, it'd be a bad sign. And uh, you know, so so getting finished with the song and then the room be quiet and just some cameras filming you standing there in your awkwardness. You know, it's, but I I got a little more comfortable during lockdown. I did quite a few Facebook live shows. You know, put up a tip jar. That's what a lot of my friends have done as well. That are in music and and people that 
kick into those things really kept us alive, you know, and that's a, it's a lot to be said for people supporting the arts. You know, I think a lot of people get a bad rap and say that, you know, people don't support artists like before because, you know, everything's free and online and, but that's, you know, that's just not the case for a lot of us that my, my core group of people that like what I do and follow, they stepped up big time and, so I, I learned a little bit about, you know, the being on the camera and playing a show and people are seeing you in various spots. It's just strange. It was it was cool at first, but I'm I'm so ready to go play for people again. Yeah, this is just you don't want it to be kind of the future of everything. <laughs> no, you know, just but God, you know, I don't want to be the cause of people coming together. I I do see some positive signs as far as people doing some socially distanced things and, you know, the necessary things to, you know, to help to do our part in the pandemic. And, you know, until it's till it's wide open, I, I really don't want to go out and draw people together. Despite everything, I think music fans have really, you know, stepped up and, you know, really supported the artists that they like. You called upon fans basically to fund this latest album, and they they really turned out. Yeah, they did. You know, I never, I I was never a part of a Kickstarter campaign, and uh, my girlfriend Chrislyn, she's the one who helped me put the record together. She she helped organize all that stuff. I I I was always putting out records, and you know, one a year, sometimes two a year, and just I'd slap them up on uh, iTunes and apple music and then that's about all the fanfare i would do for it so by doing a kickstarter we were able to raise uh, enough money to hire promotions and we got a pr girl out of new york and a radio promoter out of ohio that are both really great at their job and able to press this album on vinyl and pay to have it mixed and and just all those parts that i i really never put much effort into as of the past few years so when we put the when we set out to start the Kickstarter, it was uh we were going for twenty grand and people kicked in and they just kept kicking in and we were able to make what was it twenty seven hundred twenty seven thousand off of the thing and that that's an amazing number for me to gather you know in the time of a pandemic when maybe not everybody is working so it was just a really great that the fans really came through for me I'm I'm blown away and humbled by it it's awesome. Yeah, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about how you ended up, you know, producing this. Did you get everything recorded uh, at your studio in Ada? Yeah, when uh, when everything shut down, I shut down. I came off the road and wasn't quite sure what I was going to be doing. And I live in a studio, you know, my house, the Boo Hatch studio is in. And the gear is always there, so I really didn't have an excuse so uh, my girlfriend and I, she she co-produced it with us, with me, Chrislyn Lawrence, and uh, we just took our time. And since we had it, I had a million, not a million, but quite a few songs uh, that I, I I haven't made an album in five years. So a bunch of songs are sitting around, and we had the luxury of time to sit and really play through the songs and and try to figure out what they're saying and and put them in the right order and it just had a cohesiveness to it that I think has been lacking on a lot of my records. We recorded the basic tracks at my house. Well, there was time and there was a way 
But the colors faded into gray And there's something that you'd kill to say Eric Hansen, who played with me solo for uh, about 10 years, he was my drummer. Now he's playing with Cody Canada and The Departed. But he lives in Ada, Oklahoma, where I live. He came by and he did the drums. There's a million colors in the sun And they burn so bright they look like one and then after that, I sent those tracks to a friend of mine in Denton with a studio, and he did the bass. And we sent those tracks down to Austin and San Antonio, where some friends of mine that play horns put those parts on and keyboards. Heaven help me, you have sworn that you'll die and you try to be born. It was really cool. It was a fun way to make it. Yeah, I was going to ask if it felt like um, really different from how you typically produce an album. Like, do do you usually have everyone kind of come in, like in person? Yeah, I work with a lot of bands, you know, that'll come in. And if it's a band, it's more that way to where everybody's in the same room. Now, now sometimes when it's uh, just like, say, a singer-songwriter and I'm doing their record, I... We may send some parts off, but it's, it's people I know and trust. It's not like a crapshoot. I know what I'm going to to get roughly, you know, and I, when I send a track down to, like John Knutson, he played with Whiskey Myers and the Damn Quails for a long time. I'll, I send stuff down to him and have for years, and he just puts on a perfect part every time. And when you've got people like that in the stable, it, it it's it's easy to do. But with, you know, with, like say a, a young band, like I work with a young band, they may not be used to how to put an album together and how to make all the parts kind of jive with each other. So it's better to be in the room with them. You said you had all these like songs kind of stockpiled up. Uh, you know, it's been five years since your last album. Uh, why did it kind of take so long to put out another album? Well, a part of that was just... I, I wasn't in a great space in my head. I I went through a divorce two years ago. And, you know, the tail end of that, I was just not in a very good space and not able to stop. And, and plus all the distractions of being on tour constantly. I say on tour, you know, I go out three, four nights a week, sometimes two nights a week, sometimes a couple weeks at a time. But always being on the move and not really being home. Yeah, um... You know, in those years since your last album, a few other members of the the Red Dirt scene have have since passed away. Like, you know, Steve Ripley and Tom Skinner. Um, how did their passing kind of affect you? Yeah, it was one of those things where those guys that you mentioned those were my mentors. You know, Tom Skinner being the guy that when I came to Stillwater, he was playing around out at the farm and and. Uh, he was one of the first people that I met, him and Bob Childers, as far as being, uh, like, saying I'm a songwriter, you know, and that this is my occupation. And I saw that that was possible. I called up Lucky on the telephone. I asked 
stole Lucky. What's been going on? He told me, I got a mess of them blues that you wouldn't believe. Seem like every time I turn around, somebody's trying just to knock me down. I don't have any tricks left up my sleeve. Said Lucky, that ain't nothing new. I've been having me a hard time too. I know what you're going through, and it's a mighty heavy load. And then Joe Hardy also passed away. He was he I met him. Now Joe used to work at Arden in Memphis and Steve Earle recorded Copperhead Road with Joe, and that was one of my favorite records and some other stuff. And the guy that took Steve Earle to Arden in the first place in Memphis was a guy named Tony Brown, and he had signed Steve Earle, La Love It, and a bunch of great stuff to MCA. Well, he had just signed Cross Canadian Ragweed to Universal South back during, I think, their Purple album, maybe. And anyway, he he hooked me up with Joe and said, I think you guys would would work well together and we did that and I started working with Joe on a regular basis. He started mixing everything I was producing and he was just my partner for a long time up until his death uh, last year and a half or so ago. And he taught me how to be a better, be a better producer, be a better engineer and just all kinds of stuff. And then Steve Ripley, the great Steve Ripley. I, I just loved him to pieces. He was, Another of the older generation, you know, he was in the tractors, played lead for Bob Dylan, just did a, built a guitar for Eddie Van Halen. Uh, just an amazing, another amazing Oklahoman. And he and I hit it off, and we always stayed in touch online, and would just make each other laugh. And I, he was a good guy for me to go and uh, ask for advice from, because he'd been through everything, and, and he knew what he knew what the score was. Voice was smooth as honey as she whispered soft and low. She said, I'll always love you, dear. You know I'll never go. Gone away. I didn't even say goodbye. Gone away. Yeah, and the song, the, the first song on this uh, new album, it's kind of a uh, tribute to them, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's uh, just talking about how the one of the lines is in the days went around, you were the needle on the sound of our own Victrola. You know, those guys just meant the world to me. And then the chorus of it is, is as it turns out, got a little bit burned out, but I'm still smoking, still smoking. That was to me just a summary of of all the all the years that have passed, you know. Tom and I spent ten years together traveling in a van out on the road and we were very close. And Joe and I talked to each other every day and Steve and I did too. And you know, once your friends start passing away and they're gone, it's it just puts the world in a different perspective for you. You know, you kinda of think they're gonna always be there and then one day they're not. This was a time for me to have to come out and stand on my own, and my and Chrislin was so great at helping me find that, you know, find that place inside to where I could, 
you know, take everything those guys had taught me and, and, and through her help, help get that down into a real cohesive record. Yeah, it seems like this is a real different kind of perspective for you to be looking at wife at. Yeah, it is, you know, because it, it went through just a real rough spot. And, you know, the first signs of that song is... Well, I woke up in a parking lot. Sun was burning down on me, hot as West Hill in the summer. Brother, it ain't been nothing but one big bummer right after another far as I can tell. God, that carried on into this summer. You know, I'd written this song a couple summers back. And, you know, this summer with everything from George Floyd and social unrest to the coronavirus, it's been a pretty big bummer too. But the bottom line is not broken. The other day Amongst the other kind of difficult experiences you went through was also coming to grips with um, addiction. In the Oklahoma, you called it a crossroads when you decided to, to stop drinking. Is that also around the same time you wrote Holiday Blown? Uh, no, I actually wrote Holiday Blown before I threw in the towel, <laughs> which doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But yeah, about a year and some change ago, I I came to the realization that I needed to put alcohol down because, you know, and I started to figure out that I was just pouring alcohol on top of things I needed to be working on, you know, whether it be personal growth or, or spiritual growth of, growth of sorts. And so, so I quit. I didn't, I didn't realize how sideways I, I was in my thinking and in my living. It just, you know, when you're in a band and you're traveling around and you work in bars and you're, you're the life of the party, you know, it, it takes its toll on you and, and you get swept up in it really easily. And it's just, it's expected of, you You know, you walk in a place, have beer, they're excited to see you, you know, they're ready to party and listen to music. And, you know, if you're not careful, that can just take over every part of your life. And I was no longer just drinking at shows. It was every day and starting to drink a little bit earlier and drink a little bit more and just really sidelined a lot of things that I, I wanted to try to accomplish and didn't even know I wanted to try to accomplish until I got my head clear and uh, could go out and start putting some pieces together. But Holiday Blown, yeah, that was, I knew that I was a bit of a, bit of an overdoer. And uh, my, my mom's dad was a tank mechanic in World War II on the march to Berlin. And when he came back home, he wasn't the same. You know, this was before PTSD really had a name. And so when he come back, he just pretty much drank himself to death. He died at 41 years old, you know, on a couch. And, you know, it, it was kind of looking at him because he died right before Christmas when my mom was 16 years old. Daddy likes that morphine. Daddy likes amphetamines too. 
Daddy likes anything Make him feel like he wants to Instead of feeling like he has to But he'll feel like he needs to For you On one hand, it's easy to kind of be upset with a character like that. You know, as far as if, well, if you hadn't been drinking, this wouldn't have happened. But it's more looking at the why was he drinking, you know? What did he see over there? What did he have to face and come home and couldn't shake, you know, after being in war? And, I, you know, and that still goes on today. Mama wanna know why Daddy had to go and blow another holiday seems like the the character that you were picturing in that song was primarily um your, your grandfather right well i kind of threw him under the bus because i stood the first <laughs> the first verse is is uh i started talking about myself you know and and i thought uh oh this is getting too personal which which that happens when you're kind of covering stuff up you know you, you're afraid to get is raw and it's personal. So uh, I started singing about my grandfather in the second verse. And so, so it seems like it's about the same person, but in a way I was hitting at my own self in the, in there. And it really, it really came, came to light for me how, how big of a monster addiction is. It can really convince you of things that aren't necessarily so. And it, and it, it keeps you from being completely honest with yourself and those around you. And that's that's the biggest takeaway that I think I've gotten from stopping and stepping away from it. And and it took a while to, to not have cravings, you know, like every once in a while you see that picture perfect beer ad of somebody on a beach and it looks really nice. And then you think, well, they don't really make the commercials of the drunk dad yelling up the stairs and, you know everybody crying, you know, you don't see those commercials and that's definitely another part of it. Yeah. After you kind of came to terms with drinking, did that song come into a different light? Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's a part of me that I think already knew, you know, that, that I needed to get down to this work and that's a lot of work when you go from drinking all the time and partying and doing other stuff as well. And, when you go from that into not doing that, you know, it can change your your group of people that you hang around. And, and uh, you know, the ones that love you and I found out that love me, they're going to still be there no matter what's going on. And, you know, they'll be the first to say they're proud of you instead of like, oh, I miss it when you used to get down. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's there's that aspect of it. But, yeah, now singing that song with a little bit of clarity, you know, clarity is something that I was certainly missing and I, I think it it showed over my my life over a, a span of several years you know I wish I could go back and change that but you know all I got is today and the next one and just keep on going Mama wanna know why. Hey, yeah I don't know Daddy likes that morphine Daddy likes amphetamines too Daddy likes anything 
Make him feel like he wants to Instead of feeling like he has to So feel like he used to Coming up next, Mike talks about Tom Petty's Wallflowers, the songwriting process for this album, and how he plays an annual show at Angola Prison in Baton Rouge. That after this break. Since the pandemic, I've recorded all of these interviews remotely from a home studio, which is a closet surrounded by pillows and one or two stuffed animals. But it was only thanks to listener support that I was able to set up the equipment and continue to cover what it's been like for musicians during this crazy year. KOSU is seeking your donations to fund this podcast and everything else KOSU brings you. So please, if you can give, head over to KOSU.org and click donate. You know, that uh, kind of history book of the entire Red Dirt scene came out recently. Looking back, um, are there any kind of memories that stick out to you about those days? God, yeah, just all of them. Yeah, Josh Kretschmer did a really great job as far as putting that together, the Red Dirt, the book. And, you know, there it's such a wide story because there were so many people that came to Stillwater and, and got their musical start there from, you know, myself. I moved there in 1990. And those were, those were fun times because then in 92, I met the guys from the Great Divide and we started the band and we were terrible. <laughs> but, uh, we were a band, and I was writing songs, and we started playing them. I, I think that was the most exciting times of the whole thing, really, for me, was when we did our first record with Lloyd Maines down in Lubbock. Sunlight through the window It's hurting my head There's a trail of smoke filled clothes The doorway to just the fact that we were making an album was incredible. And then uh, I met Cody Canada, and he was going to be, I tried to get him in the Great Divide, but he, you know, the other guys in the band decided that, nah, let's just keep it four-piece. So Cody started his own band, and that was Cross Canadian Ragweed. And I produced their records, and having a, having a hand in that was really great to just see their rise up from, and they were a terrible band too, you know. <laughs> We were bands that weren't very good when we started, but you know, over time and playing out, we all got pretty decent. That don't bother me any. I know what I'm spending it on. I'm going for the last time is gone. And then, uh, you know, Jason Boland came along and Stoney LaRue, and you know, there's that whole crop out of there, and then later. And the Turnpike Troubadours and John Fulbright, that whole group that came out. You know, I got to to do one of Turnpike's albums, that Diamonds and Gasoline, and I could just tell then that, you know, this is a band that's gonna make some make some big waves, and they did indeed. And I would buy for you a diamond or myself some gasoline. If I can't afford you, darling, and I can't afford to dream, and is it? Time I should be moving. Is it time I settle down? Katie Butts is another record I got to work on. Uh, the Damn Quails, one of Whiskey Myers' early ones. Uh, it, it was cool to be a part of those records, especially like some people's earlier records, you know, and 
And I stayed with Ragweed uh, all through their recording career, so we had quite a few, quite a few albums together. Sirens will in a flashing light. Nothing better to do on a Tuesday night. But give me hell. There's so much of it; it's hard to pinpoint anything that's that really stands out because it all does there was so many little moving parts that were super cool and and i had a really good seat you know to be able to to hang out and and be a part of so many different projects including my own have you gone back to stillwater at all are you still kind of in touch with that that musical city or scene not really because i guess i am and i am uh, and i amped <laughs> I uh, I just don't, you know, as I've, especially since I've I've quit drinking, I don't go out as much. You know, those, those kind of went hand in hand, going and, and hanging out. You know, a lot of those old early Red Dirt days is a bunch of us staying up out at the farm or at the Yellow House or whatever, and just just playing. I, I don't really I don't really go out and do that really anymore. Just since I'm almost fifty, I tend to more like putter around the house. So, you know, I haven't really gone back to Stillwater other than uh, I try to go every year for the Bob Childress Gypsy Cafe and, you know, the Great Divide guys are still there. So it, it's it's still a part of there. I just I'm not really a regular. Do you see any kind of echoes of that that scene right now? Any young bands that you're you're kind of looking at or listening to and you're just like really digging? Yeah, uh, there's a kid named Tanner Fields. I think he's out of Oklahoma City. It's redemption day, and I bow my head and pray. Yeah, he he uh, he sent me a video of his, and it was really good. Just one of the better ones I hear in a while. So uh, I, I'm thinking about taking on his project in the producer role. I, I thought. You know, he had a really good sound. Yeah, there's always somebody popping up in, in Oklahoma. It's just been a amazing breeding ground for that. What kind of influences were there for this album? Anything musically or stuff you were reading or maybe movies that you were watching that kind of impacted you? You know, I think the main influence on this thing was Tom Petty's album, Wildflowers. We just got to listen to that and uh, just just trying to define what we loved about this record. It's one of both of our favorite records. And there was just this sense of space. Not every minute has to have some guitar solo or somebody crashing cymbals, and cymbals was a lot of it. Chrislin noticed that before I did, how the drummer on that Wildfire record didn't hit the cymbals all that much. Let me run with you tonight, I'll take you on a moonlight ride. And so, we brought that into the making of the record and the, the space and then trying to find some uh, cool guitar tones instead of just cranking my amp up and going. A friend of mine sent me a guy named Clay Mixon out of uh, 
the New Orleans area, he sent me this thing called uh, Head Rush. It was a guitar processor. And I just found some really neat guitar sounds on that. You can't hide what you're feeling. Oh, and I can't lie and tell the truth. And when I slide and I start sinking, I reach out for the light inside of you. Well, it's like a time shining. Well, it's like sliding around without the wires. Like I say, I being home and grounded in a sense, in a double sense. I got a chance to experiment with, you know, I had the luxury of time to like, well, I'll try a solo with this sound. And, and I think we found some magic things on it. But as far as influence, you know, definitely that Tom Petty record. Uh, definitely, she got, she got, she took me to a yoga class in Austin and I never tried that before, any kind of meditation. And it just all that stuff really helps ground your spirit and, and helps you focus. Lack of focus has been my biggest downfall over the years. So, so I, I definitely think that that, that uh, kind of more Eastern philosophy, you know, that that played played a big part on this, and and just the looking inside, looking in, looking up. I will find my own way back home. Yeah, we all fly. Don't we, babe? It's what makes falling feel so far Yeah, have you been practicing a lot of, I guess, mindfulness and meditation exercises? Yeah, I have. I, you know, there'll be times and I won't do it for a while and then I'll start noticing, well, I'm getting agitated easy or I'm getting easily distracted. And then it's just not getting mad at yourself. It's just bringing yourself back to the discipline, you know, and, and, and just trying to stay mindful about your actions and your words. You know, that's, that's, a, that's a very important thing. What was the songwriting kind of process like for this album um you said it kind of just spans like many years but is is the process kind of the same for every song nowadays well some of this was um some old songs that kind of made new sense you know like i was saying holiday blown i didn't really understand how much of that i was kind of hiding you know until so it, it took on a different different meaning and there's a couple of tunes that way one was called distractions and I changed, I'd recorded it before several years ago with Joe. And I just started playing it again in my, my live shows and it was really resonating. And then when the pandemic hit, it was, uh, it, it just, it just seemed relevant again and necessary. Then some of the new songs are about my new relationship I'm in and, and have been for the past couple of years. And, you know, songs about love and hope and, and had another chance, and I'm really thankful that that came into my life at this particular time. Because after I left a bad situation, you know, it could have gotten really bad as far as the drinking or 
or excessive party and it could have got really bad but in, instead it instead of turning into darkness it turned into the light and there's a lot of that that comes through on this record you know there's songs about love and hope and and keeping it all together and, and i think it's really been resonating with people lately because that's that's what people need right now it's pretty it's been trying times to say the least yeah and when you decided to re-record distractions um you did end up changing a line didn't you yeah i did it used to say uh oh the first line was distractions all around it's too much i guess Distractions all around Yeah, it's too much, I guess Especially right now In the original line was This place is such a mess But I changed it to the world is such a mess and then later in the song, I changed a couple lines to say, you are not alone and you are not your past, which was some, just some sentiments that I needed to hear because, because you know, when you're looking back, I, I, I made a lot of mistakes and those don't have to define me. And that's, that's where that line jumped out and kind of drove home for me. So I, I changed that line on that as well. So welcome to the new you When it's a steeper path Yeah, but you are not alone And you are not your past Light a candle if you want to, but I'm past all that. The only one thing will keep my thoughts in line. I like it when the words just want to fall out. So, with songwriting, you've been kind of giving workshops and stuff like that in the past uh, i don't know if you've still been doing that recently uh yeah we used to do we used to do these songwriter workshops where you know we'd have like six people that would sign up for them you know we would, didn't want any more than that but you know there'd, there'd be five or six each each songwriter workshop we would do over the course of a weekend we'd all just sit around a big table and talk shop and people would play their songs and everybody break off into groups and co-write it was re really really fun really cool and and uh and then when covid of course came didn't want to be doing that in the house and so i have been doing one-on-one -on -one songwriting sessions through zoom you know i've had to learn how to use zoom and i have students all over the u.s that will jump on and I help people with their songs, and that's all available on the website. Is there a general or like the biggest thing that you try and teach when it comes to songwriting? Yeah, I think, you know, it gets down to me just getting down to your personal truth. And even at my age, you know, I, I've struggled with that too, you know. And it's just, just having the strength to say what needs to be said. 
when I was a when I was a younger man, I was I got around Guy Clark. I got an old blue shirt and it suits me just fine. I like the way it feels, so I wear it all the time. He's passed not too long ago, but I played a song for him and he stuck his finger up to his head like it was a gun and <laughs> and uh, it's like, oh my God, I'm like 20 years old. And as I'm leaving this place, he comes out and gave me a big hug and said, you can write, you're just not showing your ass. He goes, you're not, you're just saying these stories that aren't necessarily about you and I know it and he's right. I got an old used car and it runs just like a top. I get the feeling it ain't ever gonna stop. Stuff that works, stuff that holds up, the kind of stuff you don't hang on the wall. And so I started looking in to talk about my what's going on in my life and trying to make some sense out of it. And that really changed my perspective of trying to be a writer. And that's one of the one of the major tenements I try to espouse. Is that a word? I, I think so, espouse. I think it is. Yeah. yeah. We're gonna we're gonna look that up here. We got a team of fact checkers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh so seeing as how this is kind of the most difficult year in a lot of people's recent memory. Um, have you been doing a lot of writing during this time? Yeah, uh, mainly, you know, more of the actual taking the writing, putting the final craft on it, you know, and, and then the recording process and taking more time with that. I used to put out albums really fast and uh, we'd jump in and knock stuff out and stuff didn't really have a chance to percolate. And I've also started doing some more writing. I'm working on this album uh, every year, I didn't get to and won't get to this year, but but every year around November for Thanksgiving, I go and play a, a set of songs at an Angola prison in Baton Rouge. And it's really a, a moving experience because, you know, there's a lot of bad folks in there, but there's a lot of, of, of people who made mistakes and they're still humans. And every year I look forward to going and playing songs for the inmates and and uh, it's it's a really cool deal. And I, I play mostly spiritual songs, some old gospel tunes, but but a lot of songs that just lift up the spirit, you know, no matter what your religious affiliation might be. You know, it's just singing to the human spirit. And I, I, I love that. So I, I thought about putting together an album of some older songs that I do only when I go there and just kind of a love letter to Angola. You've mentioned her a few different times now, but... uh. Uh, Chris Lynn is uh, your girlfriend, and you guys both wrote A Little Bit of Love. What was that like? Well, that was uh, the verses talking about her, and then when it got time for the chorus, we came together and and tried to, tried to sum up what we'd gone through. What you let go of, find the other side of grieving, is going to make room for another kind of feeling feeling like love will bring a whole lot of healing sometimes you have to make some room for something new that you really need and and we don't get a chance to do that because we're clinging on to something that needs to be let go of whether it be that relationship that addiction 
you know, whatever that thing is, you know, it needs to be burned off like driftwood. My way of making room was, you know, stepping out of drinking too much, being in a bad relationship. And, and she made room in her own life by getting out of a, a bad relationship and finding her own peace and her own strength. And we've both really been working at that over the past year or so, and it comes out in that song. What you let go of to find the other side of grieving is gonna make room for another kind of feeling. A feeling like love will bring a whole lot of healing. Healing inside, healing all around you. How did you two meet? I met her a long time ago. She worked at a booking agency in San Marcos called Axis Entertainment. And she was my responsible agent for a while. So we knew each other and always were really good friends and kept in touch over the years. And then when I was going through what I was going through, I just happened to run into her again in Wichita Falls at the Iron Horse Pub. And uh, we got to talking and started hanging out and two years later we're still on the same date I was running away I was running away from everything I ever thought I could never get through I'll be damned here I am running A lot of this album seems to, you know, be about finding hope while in uh, difficult times. Do you have any kind of advice for people who are doing just that right now? Feeling hopeless? Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of folks out there feeling hopeless. And, you know, one thing I'd, I'd say is just don't try to get through the hopelessness by drinking your way through it. I know a lot of people are doing that right now. And, it's, it's just not going to make it any better. I think now is the time to take this time, and, and I did, and it, I think it's been positive. And instead of looking out and rushing around, seeing what's going on in the world, start looking inside, look inwards and and, and see what's, what's going on inside of you, you know, instead of trying to figure out your inner picture by looking at your outer picture, you know, reverse that. Start looking in, and that'll change your outer picture, you know, as far as, what is it that I need to work on? Is it getting in shape? Is it, you know, stop and drink and stop doing drugs or whatever, but whatever I'm doing to, to mask, mask the pain, actually take a stark look at it. You know, I think that's the best advice that I could give anybody is, is to try to find the truth and look inside yourself for that. You know, we've all taken a pretty good beating, you know, <laughs> throughout this pandemic and it still rages on, but you know, the important thing is to realize that we're going to get through it. Well, it's late in the evening. It's really almost morning. In the middle of nowhere. Looking up for Orion. 
without even trying here come shining like diamonds down through the air and we're all spinning so they say but I don't feel like I'm moving I get a little closer every day yeah but closer's got me feeling Closer's got me feeling farther Closer's got me feeling farther Closer only feels farther away You can find out more about Mike McCorder at KOSU.org. A full list of the songs in this episode will also be available there. His website is mikemcclureband.com. That's Mike, M-C-C-L-U-R-E, band.com. Songwriters and Tour Writers is a production of KOSU in the service of Oklahoma State University. Our editor is Ryan McCroy, and our cover art was created by Terry Ferris. Happy Holidays, I'm Matthew Viriapa. But this night feels electric And Orion is hiding So I'm biding what's left of my time And we're all spinning, so they say But I don't feel like I'm moving